0: friends welcome back or welcome for the first time to who made you great the podcast where we speak with people who are great at what they do about who helped get them there because none of us does this alone I am Lala Jackson your show host I'm so happy you're here today we have an amazing guest Casey my friend she is a powerhouse and also a powerhouse that just shows up with an immense amount of calm wherever she goes Uh, I, I think you'll pick up on the fact that she just has a very calming nature about her, which is impressive given just how stacked her resume is. One of the super fun things that happened on this show is that we heard the title of her book and it was the very first time she had ever publicly said the title of her book, which is coming out in fall 2021. And throughout the interview, you'll hear more about what that book is going to be on. I'm so excited for her that it's going to be out in the world soon. If you have not yet followed us on Instagram, please do so at who made you great. You can always learn more about the show, read about other shows, look at pictures, read show notes at whomadeyougreat.com. Otherwise, I will see you on the end of the show. Casey, what greatness do you bring to the world?
1: That's a big question. I think the greatness that I bring to the world is in how I bridge a communication gap, making genuinely helpful information more accessible to people, no matter where they are or where they're starting from.
0: Was there a core place that that came from? Do you feel like communicating is just an inherent gift of yours or was it because you saw a pain point where you saw that people needed to get information a certain way and you felt like you could fill that or where does that come from for you?
1: So it's funny. My parents always tell me that I was like trying to, I was writing horrible poems and like stories for, you know, the elementary school newsletter, things like that, that I would cringe if I look back at now, but I apparently always really liked writing. And I definitely always liked reading. And I really liked reading magazines. And so, so much of just how I learned to <laughs> like be in the world, I guess, came from, you know, teen magazines and women's magazines, because those were just fascinating to me. And, you know, I, I grew up in all over the place. But I spent a lot of time in Georgia. And that was where I had most of my health classes and sex ed classes, and they didn't teach you anything. So, you know, YM and 17 and Cosmo, you know, that was such a big part of my education. You know, and I grew up with two older sisters. So it was also stuff that we bonded about. I always had this thought in the back of my head that I would someday write content like that in magazines that was really helpful to, you know, teenage girls who didn't want to necessarily learn it from a textbook or hear it from their guidance counselor or their parent. It really was something that just kind of stuck with me. When I got to college, I looked into journalism and psychology because I noticed that a lot of those magazine articles quoted psychologists and therapists, (laughs) and I thought that would be helpful. It really was something that... It felt very cool to be the person who could talk to those experts and interview the really fascinating people and then distill it into something that was really readable and digestible so that a 15-year-old in, in Kansas you know, could get the same information.
0: Take us through some of your career points, where you've been, what kind of spaces you've worked in.
1: Sure, so I got my start in women's magazines. <laughs> I followed that dream from college. I actually started interning in magazines in college. During the school semester, I would stack my classes on two or three days a week, intern uh, in the city for two to three days a week, depending on my schedule, wait tables two to three days a week. (laughs) I made so many connections when I was interning. I interned at Cosmo, I interned at Women's Health at Marie Claire, at psychology today which i loved and like nobody knows what psychology today is but great magazine uh, and they actually let me write a lot when i was like 20 and 21 uh, and then after i graduated i really lucked out that cosmo was hiring an editorial assistant when i was looking for a job and because of those connections that i made as an intern i got my resume in the door and worked really hard on an edit test, <laughs> landed at Cosmo, and at that job, I really was just assisting everyone writing about anything that anyone needed help with, and of course, what really interested in me was the health content, the sex ed content, because that was what I grew up on, right, and that was just, you know, what I took an interest in, because it really felt like somewhere where you could be genuinely helpful to someone who had this question or concern that they were struggling with. So I started writing a lot of those. I I kind of made friends with the health editor. Then I was writing two recurring columns, the the Cosmo body and Cosmo gyno sections (laughs) and some of the other sections, the other service stuff like money, you know, financial tips, things like that. Uh, And I really just fell in love with service journalism. So just being able to find those experts, talk to them, and distill that information uh, in a really entertaining way and and accessible way. Uh, And then after that, I went to Women's Health. So kind of following the trajectory of my internships, (laughs) went to Women's Health and uh, also covered health and sex and relationships and lifestyle content. Uh, and after that, I went to BuzzFeed. They were just starting their health vertical. And so I got to really be on the ground floor of that. When the editor of that who started that left, I was promoted to be health editor at BuzzFeed. And so really just shaping what they did in the health space and, and what that looked like. That was really a lot of working with people all across that company internationally to try to teach those best practices of how to create that kind of content in a responsible way, uh, in a well-researched way that's still read like you're texting your friends, which I realized, you know, is not something that everyone's trained to do. So it was, it was a really fun part of that job. And then uh, after that, I went to Self Magazine, where I was the health director. And then i Transitioned to executive editor there. And I stayed there for about two and a half years. And I just recently, during a pandemic while covering health, (laughs) switched jobs. I, I stayed in the health and wellness media industry for about almost a decade. When I was coming up on a decade in the wellness media escape, I was offered my first book deal to write about wellness from the perspective of a longtime health editor who also happens to live with pretty severe health anxiety. <laughs> Fun combination. So, I'm working on that book, and of course, the pandemic happens. I'm working on this book that's all about how to navigate that wellness space and all of this information and, and misinformation around your health while having to report just extensively and every day at self, really just guiding what we were doing. Around covering the coronavirus pandemic. And so I obviously had to take a step back from the book. It was just a lot. I felt like I was drowning. That was in the moment that I had been looking around for you know, are there places where I can create this kind of accessible, genuinely helpful content? that I can do this thing that I'm super passionate about. But maybe it's not necessarily in a space where I'm triggered every day. (laughs) So that really led me to look around a little bit more. And when I found out about my current job, I'm editorial director at Kinship, which is a division of Mars Pet Care. And anyone who knows me knows that I love dogs more than anyone loves dogs. I realized that you can do service journalism in so many different ways and you can provide genuinely useful content to people in so many different formats. And so that is how I pivoted from a almost decade long career in in wellness media, lifestyle, women's magazines, to writing dog content on the internet.
0: I love it. And I knew this about you, but I don't think that I had made the connection until this conversation of, I also went through a bit of that Readjusting to figure out where I can actually be of service, and the fact that I cannot be of my highest service if I am putting myself in mental harm's way every day. If I'm just putting myself in a situation that feels like I'm drowning every day, I, it, everything is going to be an uphill battle. So it doesn't matter how valuable the content is if I'm slowly killing myself. And so it's of much more value if I can be somewhere where I can also make sure I am well to bring that content forward and it's it's a hard lesson to learn and i feel like it can only be learned when you're going through it unfortunately
1: yeah i think that i learned that lesson a few times in various jobs that i've had of course you especially feel really hypocritical when you're writing health content about like hey take care of yourself talk to a doctor about that if you're concerned, <laughs> use these resources. Meanwhile, I'm skipping my own physicals. I am not getting enough sleep. I'm not eating well. I am just running myself into the ground. And it it really does make you just stop and look and say, like, with what is most important to me? And, and what should I be spending my time and energy and and resources on? And in the middle of everything going on, <laughs> It felt like a wake-up call that I was writing this book about how to better navigate your own health stress and body panic uh, at a time when there's so many health messages and and unfortunately a lot of pseudoscience and, and misinformation being thrown at you from all angles. And at the same time, I was, of course, still working in health media, which i think is a very valuable space where you're going to find so much information that is more accessible to most people. But I also looked around at my coworkers, my staff, and just was like, you guys are killing it. Like you guys got this. (laughs) And I don't know that I need to be in this space anymore because I feel like it's handled. I feel like you're making this amazing content. You are changing the world. You're changing people's lives. And I think that it's okay for me to find another lane.
0: I think that's really special because it shows how much you are not an ego-driven person. It's something I've really noticed about you as a person that you just show up with a lot of kindness and a lot of support for people. And I think it probably would have been hard for most people to feel like they were in an important role with an important title at a very well-known media company and choose to say like, no, y'all got it. I'm good. I can walk away from this without having that attachment to the title and the the resume of it. Mm-hmm. Is that something that was inherently within you of just being comfortable with being able to walk away from that kind of accolade? Or is it something that you really had to consciously work on?
1: I think it's definitely something I had to work on because I know in having jobs where then when you want to take a new opportunity you kind of do and maybe this is more in uh, certain spaces like in media but yeah there's definitely some recognition to your job title and to your company and to what you do and you know working at places like Cosmo and BuzzFeed uh, and Condé Nast you know there definitely is that recognition and the acclaim that comes with that and i think that or i i really know that a lot of what drove me into this industry was being able to see my name on a byline in a magazine. Like that, that was absolutely part of it. And it really was something that fueled me when I was at those moments where I was like, I can't do this, I'm so exhausted. I mean, I had like one day off a week in college to be a college student (laughs) and I'd be coming home on the train at like 8 p.m. on a Thursday night. My friends would be partying and calling me and I would have to be up again at six to go back to the city and and intern again. And it was because I really felt like I'm going to do this. I'm going to be on that masthead. And so, no, it was definitely not something that was in me. I think that I really was fueled by that uh, acclaim or or just you know being in those rooms, being in those spaces that I looked up to and uh, really admired for so long, and I still do, and I still think that they do so much important work, but it really felt unsustainable for me. And not to say that these jobs or these companies always are unsustainable. I think that, I, I mean, I know I've had the luxury of working with some really amazing people and really amazing mentors So I don't think it's definitely not (laughs) Devil Wears Prada everywhere. But I think that you do need to know when it's time for you to pivot. And for me, it was interesting to go through that while I was writing this book that was very self-reflective. There was a part of me that wanted to stay because of, of course, the tie-in with the book. You know, I'm writing about wellness and wellness media, and that was hard to to justify leaving but it also just kind of made sense you know I'm, I'm writing this book about how it is really hard to be bombarded with these messages and i was it was hard to be editing them. <laughs> some of it sometimes uh, when you are particularly anxious about your health and and you're not able
0: to escape it
1: what are you proudest
0: of yourself for
1: i would say trying really hard to get accurate responsible inclusive information out there it's really easy to take the easy way out <laughs> when, especially when you're writing online, right? Like we can all write whatever. And you know, I can, I can write a Facebook post or an Instagram post. It, it can have a ton of half truths in there. It can be only, you know, reminiscent of one person's experience. It can totally sideline another group of people. It can just be very surface level or You can zoom out and say, how do I share this same message about how to get healthcare, let's say, or how to find birth control, or how to deal with a random health concern that you're having? And how do I think about the vast majority of people that are going to read this and interact with this and make sure that it's something that everybody can act on? Like you have to be speaking for anyone who's going to come across that article. When writing my book, it was very similar that I had those thoughts of how do I make sure that this, you know, of course it's never gonna speak to every single person, but how do I make sure that I'm not, you know, unintentionally sidelining a huge group of people or being insensitive with something that I put out that is not actually genuinely helpful, because that goes against the the whole point. Casey, who made you great? So you know how hard this was to answer for me because I think, I mean, I have an amazing support system. But when I think back to those really pivotal moments the big decisions that I made in my life. I know that my dad was behind a lot of it. And so I have to give a ton of credit to him because I think that he made me great.
0: What's his name?
1: Edward Guerin.
0: Where did Edward grow up?
1: He grew up in Long Island, or as he says, Long Island, which I don't think anyone on Long Island actually says, but... He likes it. So yeah, he's from New York and he moved us all over.
0: What's his background? What does he do? What does he love? So my dad started
1: working at UPS when he was, I want to say either 16 or 18. It was one of those uh, loading trucks. And then he stayed his entire career, which is very rare now, but it's very impressive when he. I think, I mean, I can't imagine, I've taken so many turns in my career, uh, but he stayed at UPS his entire career. Uh, he retired recently, I wanna say two years ago maybe. He worked his way up essentially from loading those trucks to Vice President of Transportation at UPS, and along the way obviously had a ton of different roles and also a ton of different promotions which often coincided with relocations for me and my family so he moved us all over the place he was I think fine with that I mean his mentality my hunch says is is a lot of you know work hard relax later and he did that he worked very hard it was very evident to my family to my sisters and I growing up I mean his work ethic was constant and it was really easy to pick up on and Uh, That was also because, you know, he made little rules for us, like that we had to get a job as soon as it was legal, uh, that we needed to get a four-year education or a four-year college degree, or we weren't going to be in the will. Uh, Because I don't think he ever did. He got his associate's degree and, and talked all the time about how, you know, as a hiring manager, now he's looking at people with more experience than he ever had more education than he ever had. And so it was really important to him. Yeah, he moved us around a lot. And for that, I, you know, all of us were mad at the time and now incredibly grateful because it really shaped our personalities, uh, the way that we show up, the way that we exist. And a big part of that, at least for me, was, you know, having to just be comfortable in social settings immediately, right off the bat, you know, try to just fake it and try to make a good first impression because I might only be here for a year uh, was a lot of the mentality that I had. And so, you know, I've lived in New Jersey, Maryland, Ohio, California, Georgia, Florida, then back up to Jersey and New York. And I can blame him for most of those. And so that was, you know one pivotal through line for just how his work ethic impacted us but he did have other does have other passions outside of just work he works out a ton he's a big gym rat i remember always just i'd be waking up when he would be like getting back from the gym and then he would call all of us lazy he definitely did have this passion for health early and like instilled that in us early. So, you know, even to this day, like we will have phone conversations with everything going on and there's a lot going on, but it's, you know, if you have your health, you're, you're going somewhere, you've, you're, you've got a leg up. And so that was something actually that we bonded over both, you know, as when I was a teenager, he took me to the gym, (laughs) signed me up with some bodybuilding, you know, female trainer, who taught me the basics of, of weightlifting, which was great, you know, for a 16 year old to learn. And that I realized later was, you know, my dad opening up this part of his world to us. He had three girls. <laughs> he's now fortunately gotten one more girl and a son <laughs> through his second marriage and our family has grown. And I think that he just is still, he's always laughing that he just made all of his daughters love football Love the jets as much as he did, love the gym as much as he did. And so as much as you know he was working constantly and and definitely a way more than all of us would have liked, he found those little ways to bond with us. And I feel like all of those little ways became such integral parts of who I am.
0: It sounds like there was a lot of things that he taught you on purpose. What are the things that you picked up from him that you don't think he intentionally taught you? but you were able to observe just from how he moves about the world.
1: So I had those little things that I would bond with my dad over. It probably wasn't until I actually became a manager in my career that i would opened up this whole other world of relating to my dad. And, you know, that's not something that obviously I ever would have seen him be a manager, but he was very, calm under pressure in those situations with us growing up, like teaching me how to drive. I mean, my mom was very, like, you could see her kind of cringe and, and tense up when, when you're doing something obviously wrong. My dad, because he helped, you know, some truck drivers at UPS, pass those tests, uh, was very calm under pressure and is still the person that often will be calm under pressure when I call him in a crisis and can calm me down. Even though he has no patience himself, when there's a crisis, he's often like the calm, rational person. And so that's something that I can just kind of intuit that he was like as a manager as well, just a rational, calm presence who is, you know, hard on people and expects a lot from people, but is not unreasonable, And their demands and in what they wanna get done. I hope that that is the same kind of vibe that I give out as a manager. But yeah, that's definitely something that I feel like I picked up from him.
0: How did he foster who you
1: are? So my dad gave us a lot of autonomy in who we were going to become. My dad really was always of the mindset of, you work really hard, you get the grades and you do what you wanna do. I believe one of the biggest gifts that he gave me was the resources to go out and do that and to go out and find who I wanted to be. So that started with when I was 16 and trying to get a job. And he, because of him working his ass off, was able to make the decision of, I'm going to give my daughter a car, a hand-me-down of the other daughter's car that I gave her, But she has to work to use it because otherwise, how are you going to have gas to get to your job (laughs) and to do any of the things that you want to do? And so that is you know, an inherent leg up. It's a privilege that I was able to get these jobs and do these things because I had the car. Now, of course, I had to pay to drive it and to insure it and all of those things, but that's a huge leg up. And that Theme continued, I, and I noticed it a little bit as it was happening, and much more so as I've gotten older. That, you know, in college, it was similar. It was you get the grades, and I will pay for your college if you continue getting those grades. That was something that let me access those rooms that I really wanted to get into because having the ability to go to college at Rutgers in the Northeast, accessible by train to Manhattan to take these unpaid internships because he would pay my bus fare or my train fare, my monthly train pass. And I could do that. And then of course, you know, I still had to wait tables to like afford college things to afford gas to afford my meals and and everything like that. But I wouldn't have been able to apply for those internships. I wouldn't have been able to learn the things that I did at college in, in a much less stressful way Uh, having these student loans over me. I just know that the greatness that I hope I bring out (laughs) wouldn't have happened if I, or definitely wouldn't have happened as quickly if I didn't have access to those resources that he worked so hard to give me. I'm not saying it was easy to get that first job at Cosmo, but it was a whole lot easier having had that internship And I never would have had that internship if I was someone who couldn't access it, whether geographically or financially, fit that in my college plan. He really laid that groundwork of, I'm going to support you, you're going to have a safety net, but you need to go do something great with it. I think that that was what constantly pushed me to, (laughs) you know our school would be closed, like it would be a snow day and everyone would be partying. And I'm like, well, Hearst is still open. Cosmo is still open. And I have to get there and I have to walk on these unpaved uh, roads to get to the train and go there because I am getting the opportunity to do this and I don't want to mess it up. That was definitely, you know, the biggest Support that he gave me to just do whatever I wanted was to literally tell me, You can do whatever you want if you work your ass off, that he'd be there to to help support me.
0: That's a really incredible vision that he must have had as well. Someone who had his associate's degree, worked at the same place from when he was 16, to have the faith in his daughters to say, No, you are going to get the four year degree, that's important, and you're going to go off in the direction that you think is best for you. Because I think it would have been really easy for him to say, no, you get the job that you'll stay in for 30 years, you get the secure thing, you stay in one place, and that's not what he chose to do. How do you think he knew to foster that, not having come from it himself?
1: It's a really great point because I have no idea. I have never thought about it in the way that you just laid it out because that's true. So many people who have the experience that I did, have the privilege that I did, are steered into a particular direction to continue that privilege. I, I don't know what it was about his experience or his upbringing. It's certainly something now I'm gonna ask him about uh, that he had that trust in us that like we're gonna do cool stuff, but uh, with his support. And, and we all took very different paths. I mean, my, my one sister uh, is a school psychologist. Uh, She went on to get even more than the four-year degree. My other sister is a school teacher and I'm over here in in dog media, you know, like we all took very different turns, but he constantly tells us how proud he is of what we've done uh, and where we are. And it's just, it's like, that is so incomparable to anything. Like the, I'm proud of you text or call or hug from your dad is like something that you just cannot recreate in any other setting. And knowing how much he did sacrifice, you know, things that he wasn't around for, lots of stuff that he missed, the amount that he uprooted our lives <laughs> many times to live in other states, that we are kind of embodying the consequences of that are, are pretty cool, I think, to him. And, and to be fair, he had the privilege throughout his career to do all that because my mom was there to raise us and made all of the sacrifices that come with that to hire movers every time <laughs> he was like nope we're moving to Ohio you know and not and not put up a fight with that and just say yep okay we're doing it and we're gonna figure it out uh and so I obviously look to both of the like the sacrifices that both of them made often when I think about the opportunities that I've had because of it
0: what is your favorite thing about your dad My
1: favorite thing about my dad is our Jets times, so he always made sure that we would go to a Jets game at least once a year. Uh, I mean, obviously this year we're not, (laughs) but uh, it was just a long-standing tradition no matter where we were, what we were doing, Uh, and it was, I know, important to him and fun for him, but he always made it important and fun for us. I would be in college, I'd be going down to see them, they would be flying up. Like we always just made it work. And so it's been a very cool constant in our lives to be able to just do that. And now he, he continues to have that <laughs> work hard play later mentality Uh, that now I think he is not making up for lost time, but it's more so like now he has all this time that he's like, all right, let's go do all this stuff. Like, I mean, he took us all to Vegas for my stepsister's 21st birthday. And that was so much fun. And just like something that I just feel very lucky to to be able to do with my family and and to have fun that way. So he now of course looks at me and says that I work too hard. (laughs) So that's also like that hypocritical nature is maybe also what I love (laughs) about him that he completely instilled in me this work ethic. And now he's like, I really think that you work too much.
0: What are you proudest of
1: for him? That he gets to do whatever the hell he wants now. He really did work so hard in his career. I I know this just from, you know, missing him a lot. Now he gets to chill. And another thing that my sisters and I have noticed recently in the past few years has been his increased vulnerability, I'll say. He'll, He'll tear up a little bit more than he used to. And I don't know if that's just because I was like too young to know that side of him. But it is something that I am always, I mean, you don't like want to see your dad <laughs> cry or tear up, but I'm always genuinely touched and impressed because I think that that is a really hard thing for a lot of men, especially a lot of men who are like him, who are like former wrestlers and, and in the gym every day and don't necessarily see themselves that way. And so I feel like that vulnerability and, and just being more in touch with like, what's important to him right now, what he wants to spend his time and energy on. It's really great to see.
0: For people who are pursuing their own paths of greatness, who are really finding what their strengths are, what their skills are and growing into who they are, what advice do you have for them?
1: I would say to really rely on your support systems and to find your people and to not discount the power of making connections. Because that is definitely how I've gotten most of my jobs uh, has just been from word of mouth from previous jobs, you know? And so I think that often, you know, especially now, like we do jump from job to job, we don't necessarily have that same path that my dad had. That is a very clear trajectory and you stay on it, you stay with that company. And so it's really hard to feel like I should know what I want to do with my life. (laughs) And I've gotten instead just a ton of validation from people in various fields and people that I've gotten to work with and talk with throughout my career that that is not the case and that has been just incredibly validating to know that like you do not have to have it all figured out but you have to be okay with asking for help uh and just kind of putting yourself out there and and talking to your contacts seeing who knows what and who can help you where that's a kind of currency that is just really valuable
0: what are the final plugs that you'd like to throw out for people where can people find you When is the book coming out?
1: The book is coming out fall 2021, which feels like a whole nother world. Who knows where we'll be? Who knows if murder hornets will come back? (laughs) I feel like they might. Um, But yeah, I don't know exactly when yet, but fall 2021, the book is coming out. It is called, oh, actually, I think that this might be the first time I'm telling people but yeah i mean in in a public forum this is the first thing i'm telling people the book is called it's probably nothing the stress-free guide to navigating wellness fads health misinformation and your biggest body concerns it is going to be published by running press next year so i will definitely have more information on most likely just my instagram uh, when it gets closer and when we have a cover which we're working on now but in the meantime yeah you can find me posting usually dog stuff on, on Instagram. <laughs> and and uh, if anyone is interested in making a pivot to pet care and, and pet content, cannot recommend enough. <laughs> I mean, it is delightful. It's, it's a space that there's just a lot to do. And, and of course, like, it's just not that different from human health. <laughs> Like people, people really care about making sure that their dogs are okay, their cats are okay. Uh, and it's, it's just so similar to the wellness industry. And, and so it's really been a delight to get to create content for a whole new audience with different questions that they have that they're also stressing about, but they're also Googling in the middle of the night, like, can my dog eat this? So that's what I've been up to. <laughs> that's where you can find me.
0: Thank you, Casey, for your time. It was such a joy learning more about what you do and more about your dad. He sounds like such a strong figure and it's just really great to hear all of the love come through in your voice when you're speaking about him. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This was lovely.
0: I love this show with Casey so much. It's always such a joy speaking with people who I know personally on this show because I learned so much about them and I have really noticed that every single person who really shows up with that kind of gratitude for the people in their lives, I think that's part of what inherently makes them great, being able to acknowledge that there were people in their lives who lifted them up. And I know not everyone has someone in their lives who really played one major role, like Casey's dad did for her, but I do think each of us has people that we encounter in even small places, a a teacher at school, a coworker at your first job at the grocery store, those people who lift us up and really build us into the people we're meant to be. And I hope that each of you listening already knows who that is for you. If you don't know yet, I'm curious for you to reflect on it and I would love to hear who you determine is that person or people for you. Thank you as always for listening. Thank you to Lionel T. for our music. I'm excited for you to listen to the last few shows of our season. We are coming up on the tail end of season one. Just a few more to go. So I'll see you at the next one next week. Until then, bye.